This is The Guardian. Today, the scandal of the 35,000 international students accused of cheating by the Home Office and the fight to clear their names. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. I was living in India and always dreamed if I'm doing master, I'll do in London. Growing up, Shana Sheikh had a clear vision of the life she wanted, and she was going to make it happen. I came from Ahmedabad back in 2011. I was only 22. I have done my bachelor's back home in chemistry, and I wanted to do my master in business. I arrived in London, and I was so glad when I came here, and I was so proud. It was a very, very, very big opportunity. She was excited but also nervous about meeting new people and exploring the city. But at least the language wouldn't be an issue. Shana, how would you describe your English at the time? Like, how fluent were you? Uh, I never had doubt in my English, to be honest, because English was not the new language for me. Since childhood, We are learning English as a subject in our school, colleges, everywhere. And 80-90% of chemistry I studied in English. Before coming here in 2011, I successfully passed my IELTS test, which is the toughest test as an international student. And I passed that, and that is the reason I got an admission in the university, and I got a visa Shana paid £10,000 in tuition fees and began her studies. When she needed to get her visa renewed, she was told to take a new English test. I need to give a new English test, which was TOEIC. Awarding body was ETS. Shana went to the Home Office Approved Company, the Educational Testing Service, the ETS. The test was split into four modules. Listening, speaking, writing and reading. To be honest, that test was childish. I just need to describe a picture. Maybe it's like a seaside or it's like in a park, what dog is doing in a park. I was excited to just wait for the result and sort out the visa issue. So I was pretty confident. It was easy for me. It was a few hours out of her day, an admin task to tick off. But that test would derail her life for the next decade. From The Guardian, I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, how a simple English test 
got thousands of students deported. gentlemen, you're a senior reporter at The Guardian and you've investigated multiple failings and scandals surrounding the UK Home Office. One issue you've been looking into for several years is what's being called the English Test Scandal. Can you take us back to when this story first began? So this is a really upsetting, simmering miscarriage of justice that's been going on for a decade. It began at the beginning of February 2014. BBC's Panorama did a really powerful investigation into cheating that they had discovered was happening in test centres that provided a test of English language that international students had to take in order to get their visas renewed. Student Wade sent our undercover to sit the exam at Eden College International in East London, approved as a secure exam centre. Our undercover turned up for her exam, registered and was sent upstairs. They'd done a lot of undercover filming and they showed that in two centres, people were paying to pass the test and that the test administrators were complicit in this. Right. You'd have a room of 20 or 30 students sitting at computers and you could see that next to them were proxy exam takers and either writing their answers for them or helping them with their answers. The fake sitters start answering questions in perfect English, questions set for the real candidates. With the paid cheats hard at work, the visa applicants are called to the front in turn to have their photograph taken. Proof they've sat the exam here. Theresa May, who was then Home Secretary, was shown the video and she's shown on the BBC documentary saying that it was shocking. Well, I mean, that's incredible. I mean, I know that there's abuse in the system, but I mean, well done for actually uncovering the further abuse that is taking place. I mean, what you've shown here is people being able to effectively go into a situation where that is being faked for them. And that's a matter of grave concern. And these test centres where we know cheating was happening, who are they being run by? If you were a student wanting to take this test that you had to take, you went onto the Home Office website and you could choose from four different Home Office approved providers who were offering the English language test. And one of those providers was called Educational Testing Service. It's a US-based company who offered something called the Test of English for International Communication, the TOEIC test. A fair, comprehensive and valid standardized assessment is essential to accurately measure an individual's English language skills. The TOEIC program, assess to progress. ETS was running these tests in between 90 and 100 centers. And the documentary showed cheating in two of those centers. It's probably the case that cheating was happening in other centers because the Home Office has subsequently prosecuted, I think, over 25 people for their role in an orchestrated deception whereby people were taking money to help people pass the tests. So there's no doubt that there was cheating happening. The real question at the heart of this whole issue is how much cheating was happening. So 
This was a period in which, as you said, Theresa May was Home Secretary. Can you remind us about the atmosphere at the time around the issue of immigration? Yeah. The Home Office at this time was really focused on cracking down on illegal immigration. Theresa May had made a commitment to getting net migration down to the tens of thousands, and they were working out policies that would become known as the hostile environment policies that made it very difficult to exist in the UK if you were here without documentation. She's renowned for her uncompromising stance on immigration. But today, Theresa May's tough talk reached new heights. There are people who need our help and there are people who are abusing our goodwill. And I know whose side I'm on. The problem was, as we discovered for people affected by the Windrush scandal, and again for the students here, that the Home Office didn't always get it right in terms of knowing who was here illegally and who was here actually entirely legally. Amelia, how did the Home Office and this company ETS, how did it respond to the Panorama documentary at the time? In the wake of the documentary, Home Office officials went to ETS in the US and said, we've heard allegations of widespread deception in the tests that you're running for us. Could you check them out? ETS did a review of the 58,000 tests that had been set by students between 2011 and 2014. And they came back with really curious and, in retrospect, quite peculiar answers. The test involved four different sections, and ETS reviewed the spoken part, and they had some software that allowed them to do voice recognition. And what they did was look at whether the voices giving the answers were repeated with the assumption that if the same voice came up on multiple tests, that was indication that somebody was using a proxy test taker and that cheating was involved. Okay, so do we know if that software was reliable? Well, we don't know how reliable the software is or was. And subsequently, in court cases, there have been a lot of questions about the reliability of that software. ETS came back to the Home Office and they said that they believed, having reviewed this evidence, that 58% of students sitting the test between 2011 and 2014 had definitely used deception. And another 39% of the tests were questionable. So when you add that together, they're saying that 97% of the people who took the test in that period were somehow probably involved in cheating. That is such a serious claim on part of ETS that 97% of foreign students had cheated on their exams. It's just really, really hard to believe that that could be the case because this was a test that was advertised on the Home Office website. People were signing up to it from all over the country. And the idea that all 97% of candidates could somehow have been colluding, could somehow have known all of them the right way to go about contacting a dishonest provider at the tests slightly stretches credibility. The really straightforward response would be to say to everybody who'd taken that ETS test to invite them to come back and simply sit the test again. And that would have been a really straightforward way of weeding out who had actually cheated and who actually spoke very good English and was able to pass the test. 
How did the Home Office respond to those findings? So the Home Office accepted those findings pretty rapidly and they moved very fast to revoke the visas of 35,000 students. And when you hear about a visa being cancelled, it might sound like a bit of headache-inducing bureaucracy. Mm. But actually, the reality was for these students that that decision was absolutely catastrophic because it meant that they were immediately thrown off their university or college courses. They often didn't get a qualification, so they'd wasted enormous amounts of money in fees. They began to get letters saying that if they didn't voluntarily leave the country, they'd be arrested, detained and deported. So we know that at least 2,500 of them were deported. Another 7,000 plus chose to leave the country because they'd been warned that they faced arrest. My life was beautiful. I cannot thank God enough for the life I had in the United Kingdom. I was 18 when I left Pakistan. I was 26 when I got back with the tag of a deceiver. This is Muhammad Ali. He was studying for a postgraduate course in tourism management. I used to go on a long drive via Loch Lomond to John O'Groat. Life was fantastic. I used to go out. I used to have friends. I was getting the top-notch quality education from the United Kingdom. Then one day in 2014, the UK Border Agency, or UKBA, raided his house. My cousin called me. That was 7 o'clock in the morning, around 7-ish, when I got this call from my cousin saying that the UKBA raided the house and they were in search of you. They just simply stated that they wanted to have an interview with you. And, you know, to me, that was a bit surprising that five o'clock in the morning, they raided my house just to interview me. That rang bells to me in my mind. And I was just like, something is fishy in there. After the raid, Muhammad got in touch with the UK border agency via his lawyer. They asked him to come in for an interview. As soon as I informed the front desk that, yes, I'm here for an interview, they took me to another room and one of the officers came in there and he told me that my visa has got cancelled and they're going to arrest me, detain me right in there. That was completely shocking. That shook my world upside down. I asked him about the reason and then he told me about the proxy test taker and it's a virus spread cheating. He had taken a test with ETS, like Shana, and years later he was asked to take another. He passed that too, but it didn't make a difference. They put me under detention, and from there they took me to one of the local detention centres. I'm going to say not less than a nightmare. That was worst. Worst. I wasn't able to feel my legs, my hands, and I was in a state of shock. That was not less than a trauma. A worst trauma. You lose your body and your nervous system gets break and, you know, you are in a mental shock. Muhammad was held in detention for two weeks and was moved from site to site. I've been, you know, treated like a criminal, right? A student being treated like a criminal. Muhammad was denied the option of making an in-country appeal. He went back to Pakistan and tried to appeal from there. When I came back here, I decided to fight this case, but none of the solicitors were taking this twice cases. 
when I came here, it wasn't easy for me to get back to life because I was going through this whole shock and trauma. My personal life got affected. My family got affected. So obviously my mom, she was the one who believed in me. Not my father, not my siblings, not my sisters, not my brother. No one in the family apart from my mom. I remember I'm a son of a banker. And banker means a person with honesty. And what I've got from UK is a label of a cheat or a con artist. And for the past 10 years, I'm unable to move. After coming back here, I applied for another student visa in one of the European countries, Hungary. And I got refused because they pull up the immigration history from UK through the Interpol. I'm unable to travel, right? Since then, I've been doing, you know, all the odd jobs like call centers and customer services. I'm unable to pursue my career now. I'm 35 years old. I don't have any career. I just do the odd jobs to pay off my bills. And the whole life got ruined just because of this thing, right? I've kept myself to myself. I don't go to any family functions or any family gatherings. I hardly have any friends just due to this tag on me. I just keep myself to myself. Amelia, once those 35,000 students had their visas revoked, what options did they then have? Well, they could decide to stay and try and challenge the allegation. And at least 12,000 tried to do that. But initially, it was very, very difficult because there was no route of in-country appeal. People were told that they had to return to their countries and mount an appeal from there. It turned out in the years that followed that it was virtually impossible to try and challenge the Home Office through law courts in India and Pakistan. And I think only a handful of people were successful. And for those that then did stay in the UK and made these challenges, what kind of lives are they living? It's been really, really hard for them. If you stay in the UK and your immigration status is uncertain, you're not allowed to study, you're not allowed to work. For most of these people, they weren't eligible for any legal aid in order to mount these challenges. It's incredibly expensive to try to get the courts to listen to your claim that you've been wrongly accused. And mm. people have told me that they've spent tens of thousands of pounds on trying to mount legal challenges against the Home Office. Initially, it wasn't possible at all to have any form of appeal within the country. Although over the years, the pressure of multiple cases has meant that people are able to mount human rights appeals or do judicial reviews. You've spoken to a lot of people affected by this situation who've had their lives turned upside down. Which of their stories have stuck with you? I spoke to one man last week who told me that he hasn't hugged his mother or father for 14 years because he hasn't been able to travel home, because he's been trying to resolve this issue. I met somebody who'd spent 11 months in immigration detention another person who had missed his mother's funeral because he wasn't able to travel back home because the Home Office still had his passport. One woman I spoke to 
told me that for a while she was sleeping on a park bench in London because she was homeless, unable to earn any money, ineligible for homeless accommodation, and she simply didn't know what to do. A lot of people were made homeless by these allegations. There are stories of people trying to take their own lives. In fact, I met somebody who had been hospitalized after a suicide attempt. And many people are on antidepressants and are seeking help from their doctors because they found it so hard to deal with these allegations. I think it's really hard to overstate how badly people's lives have been affected. I submit new tests, I submit everything, what they ask for, and I'm not getting anything, any response. I keep calling them every week, and they say that we can't say anything. It's under process, it's under process. At last, I took help from my MP. Very next week, I got my file back with the refusal and with the allegation of using deception in the TOEIC. We are refusing your application made in back in 2014 with the reason that you have used deception in your application. Shana, how did you feel when you got that letter? I was heartbroken. I was so disappointed because that was the age where in my culture, a girl should be married and settle down. But I was fighting with my family to sort this issue out. And then I'll come back and I'll marry. It was very heartbreaking that I have wasted my precious two years just waiting to get the false allegation on me. So the Home Office refused your application. They said essentially that you'd been cheating in the English test that you needed to pass. What happened then? Were you offered a chance to appeal? I got appealed right in 2017 and... I lost that because there was no much finding in favour of the student that time. And even judges, they were not aware about what is English test. And since then, I'm still trying to clear the name in a court. We can't earn that time back, but we can earn the respect back, definitely. Shana, can you tell me about the strain on you and the cost in fighting your appeal and to try and get your name cleared? Oh, Noshin, what would I say? Like, you you must heard about the uh, wedding in uh, Asian culture, right? So I have spent all the money which I supposed to spend on my wedding. <laughs> all the applications and the uh, sorry Shana I'm so sorry <laughs> all the the cost of going in a court hiring barristers solicitor little like 40 50,000 or more than that I have spent you mm-hmm. can buy a house with that deposit in UK that much the amount I have spent on my legal cost home office fees NHS fees everywhere that's really shocking top of that the mental health is a different story every single day is nightmare 
because I'm in my mid-30s now. In this time, I should be with my own family, with kids. I have just wasted the precious time to find justice. Shana, what impact has all of this had on your relationship with your family? I mean, what's your life looked like? You won't believe in these years, I have lost many, many connections with my loved ones. I lost my three uncle, and just three, four days ago, I lost my very close aunt. Many of my cousins, they've been there to see her the last visit, but I couldn't. And I know she's about to die, but I couldn't go. And this is how I missed many funerals, many weddings, many births. Close people who understand me is fine. But a lot of people think that, oh, she has done something wrong. UK is a good country. But it's not me. It's about thousands of students. Why do you want to clear your name before you go home? My dad was in police. My mom was teacher, so I am from the very educated and responsible family. And just imagine if I'm taking this allegation and going back and surviving whole life in the trauma that I have done nothing wrong still. How can I take that allegation for my next generation? What I'm going to teach them that this is the reason I've been to the most developed country who welcome everyone. And there should be a justice in that country and I should fight until I clear my name. I'm the only child of my father. And my father died when I was seven. And my mom is always encouraging me that you can't come back until and unless you clear your name. Whole life, he made a reputation in the society and you can't spoil his reputation. Has the Home Office ever recognised the fact that something may have gone badly wrong here? Publicly, they haven't. Stephen Timms, the Labour MP for East Ham, who's been campaigning on this for many years, told me that he has been told privately by two Home Office ministers that they know that something went wrong here. We also know that there was an attempt when Sajid Javid was Home Secretary to try to do something to offer students a route of getting their cases heard within the Home Office so that they didn't have to go down the expensive legal route. Mr Speaker, when I met with the Honourable Gentleman, I took this issue very seriously. I have asked my officials to review it. In fact, we, we had a further meeting to make some final decisions just last week and I will be in touch with the Honourable Gentleman shortly. But unfortunately, Sajid Javid was then reshuffled out of his role as Home Secretary. He became Chancellor of the Exchequer, Priti Patel became Home Secretary, and the whole issue got swept under the carpet. And so has there ever been any attempt then or since by the government to address this? Well, it's an issue that's been raised again and again in parliamentary debates. There have been questions about it. There have been several very critical reports by the National Audit Office, by the Public Accounts Committee, by an all-party parliamentary group on the issue. And again and again, they've highlighted the flaws in the Home Office's response to all of this. But the Home Office 
remains pretty consistently adamant that they were responding to well-evidenced allegations of cheating within the system and that their response was justified. And they still stand by that, given how wildly implausible that 97% figure looks. What they say now is that there is a legal process going on for a lot of people and that they don't want to comment on cases that are going through the courts. And it's true that there is a significant test case being heard at the moment, which has heard new evidence, which may, depending on what the judgment is, make a legal route easier for students if they continue to challenge these allegations in the courts. But the problem with the legal route is that it is really expensive. And for people who don't have the right to work or for people who have been deported to countries all over the world, it's a very, very complicated way to respond to an allegation that could be dealt with in more simpler ways. So with the number of students who have won their cases and managed to get the cheating allegations cleared, were they awarded any kind of money or were their legal fees expensed? How did it look for them? So we know of 3,700 people who've been to court and won. We don't know whether that victory means that the Home Office has recognised that they were wrongly accused of cheating. Sometimes it's a bit more complicated than that, although in some cases it's been clear that they've been totally vindicated. So far, I know of one person who's been paid compensation, but many other people would like to take that up with the Home Office. There's a group action going on at the moment that the law firm Bindman's is trying to bring to the Home Office with more than 23 students who were wrongly accused, who were then vindicated. They're seeking for a way to get the Home Office to pay compensation to all of them. But it's still very much at the early stages. But this compensation could be really considerable because, first of all, there are the wasted college fees And then there's the enormous amount that many people have spent on legal fees trying to get solicitors to take on their cases. Then there's potentially compensation for wrongful arrest and wrongful detention. And finally, there's this much harder to define impact on life category where people are saying, for the last 10 years, I haven't been able to work. This is the period when I should have been building the foundations of my career. I should have been getting my degree. But whether or not there's a mechanism to persuade the Home Office to pay compensation is really something that remains to be seen. I've been denied justice. I haven't been given the in-country right of appeal. Why not my second test, which I passed, never got approved by the UKBA? You tell me, are you finding it difficult to understand my English? Who's going to bring my days back? Who's going to bring my time back? For how long I have to live with this tag of con artist or a cheat? For how long? When the justice going to prevail? Coming up, were thousands of cheating students politically convenient for the Home Office?
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Emily, we're now 10 years on from when the scandal first emerged. Why is momentum only now just building around this issue? I think that there is a level of fury amongst the students that is still simmering. And I think they see strong parallels between the failure of the government to address the post office scandal and the failure of officials to address what has gone wrong in their case. A lot will rest on a court judgment that's expected in the next few weeks that may make people really focus on this again and realise that a huge miscarriage of justice has occurred. What's happened to the Educational Testing Service, ETS, in all of this? Are they still operating as a successful business? ETS globally is a very successful business and runs a lot of tests in America and internationally. They have responded when we spoke to them last week, pointing out that they had outsourced the operation of tests in the UK to a local organisation called ETS Global BV. They subsequently closed that outsourced group, doesn't operate anymore. They lost their contract with the Home Office to provide these tests. They had to pay a fine of £1.6 million to the Home Office for breach of contract. And they say that their practices have changed and that their staff has changed. So they acknowledge that something went wrong. But in terms of addressing the detail of how they came to that 97% figure, that for me is the most crucial peculiarity of this case. They haven't ever really answered that question or 
offered any insights into how they got there. You've done a lot of reporting on the Home Office over the years. In your view, when you think about the Home Office in 2014, being told by ETS that tens of thousands of people had cheated their English language tests, do you think that was something that they wanted to hear to help them bring down immigration levels? Or do you think they actually believed it, that this was definitely plausible and that these students must have their visas revoked? Who knows what was happening inside the Home Office during that period? I think it certainly was politically convenient. It absolutely fitted in with an agenda to be seen to be acting in a very robust way on apparent abuses of the immigration system. I think what I find really disturbing, I suppose, is that in the wake of all of the revelations that we reported in The Guardian about the Windrush scandal, there was a real commitment from the Home Office to reform. And Priti Patel said that she was determined to reshape the Home Office to make it a more compassionate and a fairer institution. And there was a very carefully thought about post-Windrush reform process where the department committed to bringing in 30 different measures that was meant to make sure that such a scandal could never happen again. One of those was going to be appointing a migrants commissioner. And the presence of a migrants commissioner possibly would have been really useful for these students. But the sad thing is that over the years, those commitments have been slightly brushed aside. Suella Braverman dropped the commitment to a migrants commissioner mm. and she shut down the post-Windrush transformation reform body within the Home Office. And so I think it is kind of indicative that lessons were going to be learnt after Windrush and those lessons would definitely have helped these students. But as the years have gone by, those lessons really palpably haven't been learnt. And you did mention it seemed politically convenient, particularly in that era of hostile environment policies that the Home Office had implemented to make this decision that they did. Was racism an influencing factor in how these students were treated? I think we don't know that. But we do know that in the aftermath of the Windrush scandal, which is pretty much contemporaneous with this, the independent investigator into what went wrong was very, very critical of the Home Office. And she said that she was concerned that the department displayed an institutional ignorance and thoughtlessness towards the issue of race, which was consistent with some elements of the definition of institutional racism. So we know that it's on the record that at that period, the Home Office was being criticised for thoughtlessness towards the issue of race. And Amelia, what about Theresa May herself? I mean, obviously, she was in charge when the Home Office decided to revoke these visas. Has she reflected on this? I read her memoirs, which came out last year with great interest to see what she would say about this. Her book is called the abuse of power. There's a chapter on Windrush, but she makes no mention of this issue whatsoever. None. It's not mentioned. And one immigration tribunal judge in 2017 described the Home Office's behaviour as so unfair and unreasonable as to amount to an abuse of power. So it did make me 
pause a moment when I saw that her title of her book is The Abuse of Power, but it just doesn't engage with this issue. Shana, how has all of this left you feeling when you talk about it and you think about it and what you've been through? I'm feeling so cornered. I'm feeling like there is no value of our life. Just because we are international students, we get ignored by majority of people just because we're not born here. <laughs> but we invested a lot in this country, to be honest. A lot. If someone has done a murder, he might be out in five years, six years after prison. But we are, from last nine years, in open prison where our all rights has been snatched away. We can't travel, we can't work, we can't enjoy life same as a normal person is enjoying every single day. We have a stress, we have anxiety, what is going to happen tomorrow? It's like undescribable. I don't have any other option than taking pills, trying to sleep. It, 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 it's nightmare, to be honest. I'm losing my health day by day. Uh, I'm gaining weight because when you are in anxiety and depression, you don't want to go out. You want to lie down all day in your bed. But thanks to family and friends who are supporting you and they motivate you to fight with this. Shana, I wish you so much luck. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Nasheen. Thanks for listening to me. Thank you. That was Shana Sheikh, Muhammad Ali and Amelia Gentleman. My thanks to all of them. Do read Amelia's reporting on this story, including her interview titled 97% Seemed Absurd, Labour's Stephen Timms on the English Test Scandal That Wrecked Lives, all at theguardian.com. In response to Amelia's reporting, a Home Office spokesperson said, The 2014 investigation into the abuse of English language testing revealed systemic cheating which was indicative of significant organised fraud. Courts have consistently found the evidence was sufficient to take the action we did. We completely refute any allegations of racism. Decisions were taken solely on the basis of the evidence provided to the department. ETS said that at the time of the allegations, its UK operations were contracted to a subsidiary organisation, ETS Global BV. That office was subsequently closed. And that is it for today. I'm Nishin Iqbal, and this episode was produced by Courtney Youssef and Ned Carter-Miles. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Elizabeth Cassin. We'll see you again tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.